Hey, again, welcome. We are kind of wrapping up our walk through the Christmas story in Luke 1. So I want to invite you to stand today as we read these verses from Luke 1. Uh, verses, I'm sorry, it's not Luke 1. It is Luke 2, verses 39 to 40. So um, join me in, as we read through this. And when his parents had completed everything in accordance with the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. Now the child continued to grow and to become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Father, we're so grateful that, that you made Jesus as we are so that we could become as you are. And Lord, I just ask that you open our eyes to your truth, that whatever it is you would have each of us here today is spoken and heard and grabbed a hold of. We just ask particularly that you pour a special blessing on all of us, those that are online and those that are here on this Christmas day, that, that the gift that we receive from you is a heart that is more focused on you, a mind that thinks your thoughts and lives that are totally committed to intimacy and relationship with you. And we ask that because today is Christmas and your son came to save us. And it's in his name that we ask, amen. Hey, so you guys can have a seat. The reality of it all is Christmas is about one person. Who is that one person? Jesus, it's simply about him. And you wouldn't necessarily know that all the time when you look around, but we bring a lot of distractions into Christmas and we become so fixated on so many other things. But, but that doesn't change the fact that Christmas is all about Jesus. And even as Christmas becomes more and more of a secular holiday to so many people, it's still all about Jesus. So some people celebrate Christmas as a holiday but not as a holy day. We see that in our culture, right? Christmas is this great holiday in the stores and on the television and in, in media, but it's not necessarily a holy day. And here's the problem with celebrating Christmas as a holiday instead of a holy day. When we do that, we miss the entire point of it all. <laughs> When, when Christmas becomes a holiday rather than a holy day, we miss everything that it's about it all goes by the wayside. We miss the hope, we miss the joy, we miss the invitation, the peace, the love. All of those things are what make Christmas a holy day. But those things aren't necessarily present in a holiday. And I also know that our consumeristic culture tries to tell us uh, that, that it's really difficult to tell the difference between a holiday and a holy day. It tries to blend it all together so that we can look at it and, and go, well, it's Christmas, so we need to spend money on this or we need to buy that or we need to do these kinds of things because that's what the holiday looks like. And I want to tell you what I think the difference is between Christmas as a holiday and Christmas as a holy day. I think it's this. I think this manger is the difference between a holiday and a holy day. See, the holiday of Christmas doesn't need a manger. It usually doesn't have one. The holiday movies that are about love and giving don't have mangers in them. The store displays about presents don't need a manger in them. The decorations that are, we see all over the place with Santa Claus and Frosty and Rudolph, they don't have mangers in them. And that's because they don't need a manger. A holiday doesn't need a manger, but a holy day has to have one. 
And that is the central focus that changes the difference between a holiday and a holy day. The holy day of Christmas has the manger as its central focus. You think about it, nativity scenes, like you have one in your house or you see one at a church or in someone's yard. What's always at the center of it? Right in the middle of it is always the manger. Remember as a kid, we had these great nativity scenes and, and, and um, when my mom or dad wasn't watching, we'd play with them because they didn't want them broken and knew that we broke things as much as we said, no, I won't break it. But we'd rearrange them and the animals and things. But even in that, we still always had this manger at the center because this is the meaning of it all. The true joy and peace and love and hope and goodness and compassion of Christmas are all in this manger. That's the difference between a Christmas holiday and a Christmas holy day. And I think the distinction between those two things is something we need to pay attention to as a church. Not temple, but the church of Christ in the world. We need to ask ourselves, what's at the center of our Christmas celebration? Is the manger a prop? Or is it the actual focus? Are our Christmas services about who we are and what we do and our abilities and our creativity? Or are they simply about the manger? The manger is the single thing that keeps Christmas a holy day instead of just a holiday. So I want to read verse 40 again that we just read. Now the child continued to grow and to become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That verse is what makes this manger central to Christmas as a holy day. That verse is what tells us this is the point of Christmas. It speaks to the heart of the manger, and the heart of the manger is simply this, the humanity of Jesus. Jesus becoming man, God himself becoming flesh for us. What theologians call the incarnation, right? God coming as a human being. That's what the manger's about. Because here's the deal, a human baby needs a place to lay and to rest, to be safe. A human grows and becomes strong and increases in wisdom. A human needs the favor of God to be upon them for provision and security and to live a life that's truly satisfying. You see how the manger is about the humanity of Jesus? It's about the incarnation? And that's what makes Christmas a holy day instead of a holiday? Jesus was fully human in every way. Same way that you and I are human. This is what Dallas Willard, author and pastor, says about the incarnation. Incarnation does not j concern just the events of his conception and birth. It was the taking on of flesh in all its human meaning. He could live in your circumstances now he could be you and still live in the kingdom of God. You can be his apprentice no matter who or where you are. It is as his special friends living interactively with him that we know the truth and have the freedom, the power over evil that comes with such knowledge. I want to go back to part of that quote from Dallas Willard. He could live in your circumstances now. He could be you 
and still live in the kingdom of God. You can be his apprentice no matter who or where you are. Think about that for a minute. That's what the manger means. The manger is our invitation to live in God's kingdom here and now as an apprentice of Jesus. This is why the incarnation is necessary because Jesus' humanity makes that possible. Apart from his humanity, I as a human being cannot live into his kingdom here and now. That's why the manger moves Christmas from a holiday to a holy day. The manger is all about Jesus stepping out of heaven and into the world he created as one of us. And so we have to address two things about the incarnation if we're gonna fully live into the joy and the hope and the peace of it, which is what makes Christmas a holy day. The first question we have to ask and address is why the incarnation, why? Why did, why did, why did this have to happen? And the second is, what does it mean for us? And in order to answer the first question, why the incarnation, we have to go to Hebrews 2. I want to encourage you to spend some time on this cold, breezy Christmas day this afternoon. Maybe sit around the fire and, and open your Bible and read Hebrews 2. It will tell you everything you need to know about the incarnation in ways that you will find very difficult to understand but it will still tell you everything you need to know. And so here's what verse 10 in Hebrews 2 says. For it was fitting for him, talking about Jesus, for whom are all things, so everything is for him, and through whom are all things, so he made everything. It was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the originator of their salvation through sufferings. So the incarnation is necessary to bring many sons and daughters, that's you and I, to God. Jesus is the originator of salvation. He is the one who was perfected by sufferings. Sufferings he endured on our behalf. His perfection in order for it to have any benefit for us, had to be brought about in humanity because humanity was imperfect. God is not imperfect. God did not need the incarnation. We are. Therefore, Jesus, simply divine as God, could never bring us perfection. He had to become human to do that. And so here's the other thing the incarnation is necessary for. It's necessary to disarm Satan of his greatest weapon, death, and to free us from the fear of it. Listen to verses 14 and 15 in Hebrews 2. Therefore, since the children share, and that's us, children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, so that through death, this is the punchline. He might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He's conquering death. He's conquering the one who has the power of death. He had to become a human being in order to do that for human beings. 
what this verse, these verses are referring to is the cross and the resurrection. And here's what we have to understand. We have to understand that this manger is God's doorway into our lives. This is how he came into our lives. The cross is our doorway into God's life. That's the sum total of Emmanuel, the word, God with us. The manger is God with us here now in our humanity. The cross is us with God, God with us in his divinity. And so we needed a savior who was fully human to conquer Satan, to make death a pathway to God. Because in the fall with Adam and Eve, Satan created death as a pathway to destruction. To die before Christ is to be destroyed. If there's no Christ, there's no hope in death. And so what Jesus did at the cross is repurpose death from Satan's original purpose, which is destruction, to a pathway to God. And so, just as Hebrews 10 says here, he removed the power of Satan and death and removed any reason for us as his brothers and sisters to fear it. We're free from that fear because he made death a doorway to God rather than a pathway to oblivion that Satan tried to turn it into. And here's the last thing about the incarnation. It enabled Jesus to be a sympathetic and perfect advocate what the author of Hebrews calls a high priest for all of humanity. So listen to these verses in verse 17 and 18. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brothers so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, the temptation of Jesus in his suffering was to not endure the suffering. He's the only one of any human beings who ever had the power to not suffer and allowed himself to suffer on our behalf. So for, since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. You see what that means for us? In short, what that means is Jesus really gets you. He really understands you. He really knows what it feels like to be you. And so those moments that I think we all have at different times when there's sorrow or joy or temptations or hardships or there's the elation of certain things, the, the birth and death of human beings, because of the incarnation, God himself knows exactly what it is like to be you and to be me in every single moment of our lives. There is no other faith on the planet where the God of that faith said, I want to be like you so that you can be like me. This is counterintuitive. No human being can make this up. There is no way we would think this way. A concept of a God who wants to be like me is not something I would create on my own. Now, I might create the concept of me as a God which I have, and all of us have at some point. 
become my own God, but it's outside the capacity of the human mind to create a God who wants to become like them. There's nothing I feel or think or want or experience or that I fail in or succeed in or stumble over or overcome that is shocking to God. So that's the basic overview of why the incarnation was necessary. Now, understand that is completely inadequate if you really want to understand the incarnation. I just said in about 10 minutes what theologians have been trying to resolve in volumes upon volumes for the last 15, 18, 2,000 years. So don't feel like I've given you anything that's adequate other than to maybe refocus your heart a little bit to be receptive to what I'm gonna say now. Because what we need to address now is what the incarnation means to us. And there's so many things that the incarnation means for us. You could write volumes upon volumes of what it means that Jesus came, uh, that Jesus came to be a human being for us. I'm only gonna touch on three this morning because it's Christmas Day and I know you guys wanna eat at some point. So, the first thing is this. We need to grasp and understand that the resources Jesus had available to him as a fully human person are also available to us. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus did not exercise his divinity when he was a human being because to do so would mean he would have done something we couldn't do. So we have to recognize that the resources he had available to him to live as he lived were resources that are available to human beings. Those four resources are, four of them are, not, this is an exhaustive list, but four of those resources are the Spirit of God, prayer, the written word of God, and community. Jesus, as a fully human person, lived deeply into those things to live the life that God called him to live, which means that his perfect life, his power, his submission, his growth, his obedience, his connecting with others, his compassion, his peace, his joy, his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness and his surrender were all a product of these four things. That's important to note. You know why? Because we have access to those four things. There's nothing in that list that we don't have access to. They're available to us just as they were available to Jesus. And so maybe the difference between how his life looks and how my life looks isn't due to what's available to me Maybe it's due to what I'm accessing. Maybe it's due to what I'm tapping into to try to live this life. And so the question is, am I seeking to abide in the Holy Spirit? Am I setting my mind on things above where Christ is? Or am I content to let my spirit lead and guide me into the things of this world? How's my prayer life? Am I invested, committed, and expectant in my prayer times? Or is it just something I randomly toss out of my mind, maybe with words, maybe just simply with thoughts, when things aren't going the way I wish they would go? Or is it the last resort that happens? I remember early in my Christian walk, I was helping somebody with a, a group of boys, kind of like our boys club here. And we were wrapping up and one of the boys was playing in the front yard and he fell on the driveway and hit his elbow. 
And immediately I'm running over there. I, I played sports and coached kids and, and understood kind of injuries and first aid. So I run over there and I start to see, I'm thinking, oh, he might have broke his elbow. But this other guy who was with me walks up, put his hands on the child's elbow and started immediately praying. While I'm trying to figure out if he's got a break, he's praying for him. And that's the question. Is my prayer life an afterthought or is it a reflex? We, we need to press into the reflex of prayer. Train ourselves in that. Practice it. Do you listen to God twice as much as you talk to Him? A lot of times we don't view silence as prayer, but that's the very place God speaks to us. We can walk, it's easy to walk into God's presence and rattle off words and say, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I need. This is what you need to know. Amen. See you later. But do you sit and listen to him? Do you give him a chance to respond and speak to you? Are you rooted in his word? Is his word written on your heart? Is it at the forefront of your mind? Or are you more up on the last episode of Stranger Things or the Tinder Swindler than you are on the Gospel of John? We have to spend time in his written word. And this, is, this, is, this next one's a, a tough, tough one to bring up. I know it's a sore subject, but let me ask you this. How's your community? Coming out of COVID, this is something we just decided we don't talk about. Community and gathering is the Bruno of the church right now. We just don't talk about it because we feel as if COVID has justified us to detach from community. And we don't want to put the effort into coming back. Do you have people in your life who form a strong spiritual community? People that are sharing a deep desire to be in intimate relationship with Jesus. I think this is the place where Satan has attacked the church more out of COVID than anywhere else. See, because online church is a very good thing. Many of us probably would have drifted off if it wasn't for online church during COVID. But I wonder if it's a good thing that's become an obstacle to the best thing. I think there are a lot of people who have found that online services are now an obstacle to them. And what's best? Community, face to face. And so the best thing when it comes to community is this here. Face to face, live gathering. And I know there are people who can't for whatever reason come back into a face-to-face -face community, a tangible community. And you need to find it as best you can. But don't let the good thing of online church become an obstacle to the best thing of face-to-face -face real Christian community. It's the experience we need. It's not a virtual experience. If you watch the video of Niagara Falls, you would never think that was an adequate substitute for an actual visit, would you? We made a trip there last month. It's the first time I'd been there. And I can tell you this, that no video splashed ice cold water on my face and spray the way that did. No video had the rushing sound of the power of water over us when we walked back in the caves behind the falls. And it's the same with church. Virtual community is never going to be as satisfying as in-person community. 
And if that's all you can be involved with right now is virtual community, then you've got to find a way to get all that you can out of it. But don't ever fool yourself into believing that a virtual experience can somehow be an adequate substitute for a real life face-to-face encounter and experience of community. See, these are the resources that Jesus had. And guess what? We still have all of them today. We can still access all of those things. His works flow out of these powerful resources. His works didn't flow out of his divinity. They flowed out of the resources that he as a human being could tap into. Now the primary difference between his life and my life is that he never left fellowship with the Father. I do that a lot. He never did it. Up until the point where he was on the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the first moment in his life that he wasn't in deep, intimate relationship with God. That was the moment he became sin for us. Here's the second thing the incarnation means to us. It means that Jesus is the model for my life and ministry. That's what we call discipleship, apprenticeship. To accept Jesus as the model for your life and ministry is to apprentice yourself to him. Simply put, apprenticeship is making a conscious choice and commitment to have Jesus as the model for my life. Apprenticeship to Jesus simply means that I have a desire to live my life as Jesus would live my life if he were me. It's just that simple. It doesn't require some great act of religious investment. It doesn't require learning certain things or knowing certain things and I can walk into it. It simply requires making a commitment that says, Jesus, I want to live my life the way you would live my life if you were me. And we commit to making that desire the central focus of our life. In short, the manger of my life becomes my commitment to live my life as Jesus would live it if he were me. And the model for life and ministry he offers is the same as the one he lived out. Led by the Holy Spirit, bathed in prayer, saturated in God's written word, and lived out loud in community together. And then finally, the incarnation shows us that we tend to underestimate what God wants to do through us. If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. What you think God wants to do through you and in you and with you is so far less than what he wants to do. We have to realize that. Two times, well, more than two times, but two specific times in Matthew 8, 10 and Matthew 15, 28, Jesus actually marveled at the faith of people. One was a Canaanite woman and one was a centurion. But then other times we see Jesus challenging his disciples to have deeper faith, to have greater faith. So these occasions where he looks at people who are outside of his faith and he marvels at the faith they have and then he looks at his people who are close to him and calls them, literally when it says, oh ye of little faith in the gospels, what Jesus is calling them is little faiths. You are a little faith. You need to be a big faith. God wants to do way more in us than we realize he wants to do. We totally underestimate that. 
Listen to this in John 14, 12. I want to remind you of this verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Okay, that's good, right? Yay, I'll do those things also. And greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. And here's my question for you. Do you sincerely believe that you can do, actually do, greater things than Jesus did in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you actually believe that? Do you wake up in the morning and go, you know, I'm I'm reading through the Gospels and I see these great things Jesus did. I can't wait to see the greater things he's gonna do through me today. That's the invitation. But I think if we answered honestly, we'd have to acknowledge and admit that we underestimate what God wants to do in us and through us and with us. And so here's what I want to invite you into for the last week of this year. Before you come back next Sunday, I want to invite you into doing this. Four simple practices to engage in. And they're practices that are going to help you tap into those same resources we just mentioned that Jesus lived out of. The first is to seek the Holy Spirit's leading and guidance and his calling by sitting in silence before God regularly each day. Pick a time each day this week and say, I'm gonna sit in silence before God and I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit come and lead me and guide me and call me. I'm not asking you to sit for six hours in silence. It sounds great to me. I think most of you would probably go insane in six hours. But what if it's 15 minutes? Could you do that? Could you set aside 15 minutes a day to just sit in silence before God, your heart and your mind tuned to hearing him, not the traffic going by or the kids pulling the dog's tail in the other room or whatever it may be. Tune your heart and your mind to hear God's spirit. Here's the second thing. Beef up your prayer life. Intentionally engage in a daily routine of prayer. Over these next seven days, commit to saying, I'm gonna pray at this time or at these times in this place each day. And do that. Read God's written word. This is the third thing. Don't study it, which is great, but simply allow your soul to marinate in God's word. Just read it. Read big chunks of scripture in one sitting instead of the devotional verses that we read. Matter of fact, I'll go one further. I want to invite all of you to read the Gospel of John in one sitting this week. Find a spot and a space and sit down and read it. And if you have questions about it, jot them down in the margins or on the paper, but don't stop reading to look them up because if you're like me, squirrels are constantly going by and I chase them. But if you sit with the Gospel of John and say, I'm going to read this entire Gospel in one sitting, I think what you're gonna find is that you'll get a clear picture of who Jesus is and how he relates to God. But you're also gonna find that he's telling you who he sees God as. And that's the narrative of God that we all need. The other thing that we'll do, we're gonna go through the Gospel of John after the first of the year. I'd love for you guys to walk in and be prepared and equipped with having this Gospel fresh on your mind. 
And then finally, here's the last thing and maybe the most difficult thing. Invest in Christian community. Now, I know that you guys that are here on a Sunday morning, it's kind of preaching to the choir. You're you're invested in community here. I'm not delusional enough to think that what brought you out in the cold on Christmas Day was me. What brought you out in the cold on Christmas Day was the people sitting around you. You're invested in the community. But invest in that Christian community. Be intentional about it. Maybe join a life group or find a core group of three or four people. I've got three other guys I meet with on Tuesday mornings. And we really don't have an agenda other than talking about God in our lives. What he wants, what he's doing. Find some type of spiritual cohort you can invest in. For some, it may mean that you need to invest in the community here and become a server here. Let me tell you, one of the best parts of yesterday was the community of servers behind the scenes. Talking, laughing together planning together, resolving issues together, eating together. There's a great sense of community when you plug in to serve. The people who serve in Treehouse and in our children's area, they are a community within this community. They love each other, they do things together. Our greeters and our ushers are a community. If you're craving Christian community, one of the easiest ways to wade into that may be to say, hey, can I serve one Sunday a month somewhere? Can I get plugged in somewhere? And for some, particularly our brothers and sisters that are joining us online, it may actually mean returning to in-person attendance. It may be time to tap into this resource that Jesus lived out of, of, of community. Maybe time to come back. And so here's my prayer for us as a church in 2023. It's really simple, honestly. My prayer is that we would become people who love God passionately. That's the main focus of what we do. That we would serve our neighbors generously and that we would grow in Christ intentionally. All of that begins by apprenticing ourselves to Jesus in our humanity and in his humanity apprenticing ourselves to him. That's why this manger matters because the incarnation makes all that possible. Let me pray. Father, we're so grateful for today, for this the chance to celebrate that you came to earth, that you used this manger as a doorway into our lives and you're still in it through your son, Jesus, who is very much alive and present and here right now. And so, Father, we know that the path to the cross started here. That the path to the cross started with you entering into our lives. And that cross is a doorway for us to enter into your lives. But, Father, I just ask that you keep all of us here aware and in tune to the fact that there's so much that happened between the manger and the cross. Don't let us become so eternally minded that we're of no earthly good to your purpose and your people here now. And so we ask you to make yourself present. We ask that you would have your spirit lead us and guide us, that we would be the kind of people who commit to prayer, that you open up a deep desire in our hearts to read and to know your word 
and that you connect us in a community of believers who love each other because we all have your son as the head. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.